The pursuit of balance is one that has us going around and round in circles, trying to do it all with the zen-like calmness of a monk, when the reality is that trying to find balance leaves us feeling exhausted. Is it really achievable? Or is balance actually all kinds of BS? That's the question that today's returning guest dived into with her new book, Balance and Other BS, How to Hold It Together When We're Having Slash Doing It All. Felicity Harley previously shared much of her story on episode eight of this podcast series. She's been a journalist for Australia's leading women's publications for two decades, including a nine-year stint as founding editor of Women's Health. She's launched and is currently editor-at-large of women.com.au, W-H-I-M-N, and has appeared weekly on Sunrise for the past 10 years. In today's conversation, she dives into the research that she uncovered in her book, including interviewing some of Australia's most well-known women and leading experts in their field, of which I'm incredibly humbled to have been one of those. Felicity lives in Sydney with her husband, Tom, and their greatest achievements, three children, in her, well, spare time, the health aficionado drinks coffee, does yoga, exercises, really just to stay sane, and cheers on the Sydney Swans. It's possible that this time in lockdown during a global pandemic is the perfect time to put balance under the microscope and to see if we really want to pick it back up again when all of this is finished. Make sure you grab your pen and paper to jot down some of the life-changing pointers from today's episode with Felicity Harley. Felicity, it's such a delight to be hanging out with you again. I know. When was our last time? Well, it was back in, I think, 2017. And look how many you've done since, Ali. Yeah, <laughs> there's a, well, and look what you've done since. <laughs> um, unfortunately, we're not sitting in a studio like last time, which is obviously my my preference when it comes to podcasts. But in our current environment, um, it's still just such a delight to be to be hanging out with you, catching up on Zoom, and and connecting this way. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. Look, congratulations on the launch of your baby, I guess, in a lot of ways, your your book, which has um, just come out. It's called Balance and Other BS. And it is absolutely a book for our times. I want to talk about, um, there's so much in this book I want to dive in, but I'd love to start. There's a story that you share and um, I want to take you back to New Year's Day in 2019. So we're currently going through the COVID-19 global pandemic, but in summer here in Australia, we faced some critical bushfires that absolutely devastated um, our country. And there was, I guess, the realisation of connection that you, you had an experience and you describe in the book of being at the supermarket and getting a phone call from your father. Can you take me back to that moment? What was that experience like getting that phone call and and why was that such an impactful phone call? Yeah, so that um, was, gosh, that was not long ago. We're in this pandemic and that was, you know, a couple of months ago, which feels feels like a lifetime ago. Um, But yes, as you said, my um, mum and dad live in the beautiful, quaint coastal town of Lake Conjola, which is sat about two and a half hours south of Sydney. And they were 
um, caught up in the bushfires. Now, on it was New Year's Eve, and we, um, you know, we heard we heard a few things. I think we'd watched the news that morning. Heard that bushfires were in the area. I had called mum earlier, or someone had called mum and called me just to check in and say, you know, just what are you up to this afternoon? You, you know, tonight, and just one of those calls that you you know have with one of your parents or friends, and. I said, oh, mum, is it, you know, can you see any smoke? Is it okay down there? And then um, mum said, yeah, yeah, no, just a bit of smoke around, nothing too much to worry about. You know, we might go down for a picnic by the lake later and then we'll come back and celebrate New Year's Eve at home. I think it was, yeah, I'd gone up to get some lunch. It was around lunchtime and I'd gone to Woolworths and I had a child with me and I think it's crazy going to any supermarket on New Year's Eve <laughs> anyway. And I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, I did have to get some um, dinner for that night. It was busy, crazy. Um, and then I get a call. Oh, then I, a, few, a flurry of WhatsApps came in on our family WhatsApp about um, from my sister who is, um, lives in Canada but was actually staying with mum and dad and saying the fire's coming, it's getting closer. And then I'm at the vegetable, in, in with the vegetables, Jimmy's like, my seven-year-old son, mom, when are we going home? When are we going home? I get a call from dad and he's, my dad's normally relatively calm, but he's very flustered. And he's like, just letting you know, we're okay. The fire's coming. We've had to leave. We've been evacuated. Well, actually they weren't actually evacuated because there was no one around there telling people to leave because the fire came so quickly through Lake Conjola. They basically left because my sister was standing upstairs and looked out the window and saw flames in the bush across the road. And then there, and she said she just felt this incredible heat and that there was this just smoke everywhere. And so that was the time where she thought, okay, we've got to get the F out of here. <laughs> Ran and yelled at dad who was picking tomatoes. Um, of course. <laughs> and, of course. <laughs> yeah. and, and this is a sister who is an extreme sports photographer and who is in all sorts of, you know, hikes, mountains. And then she said to me, I've never been in that level of emergency before. So anyway, dad called me when they were running down the street, basically running from the, running, running for their lives, as Ange said. And I know that's not an exaggeration when I see what she climbs and, and you know, ice climbs off mountains. And But anyway, um, yeah, and then dad rang. And it was weird because I was thinking afterwards I hope this isn't like the final call you know you know you just get that like is this the final call like what and he's like we're all right we're all right I just want to know you're all right we're we're running we're going to go down the beach and then the phone went dead and like I was I I just was I don't know it's weird how you deal with those moments like yeah I just was like okay I've got to get out of here got to get out of here and then I opened the door and just burst into tears when I got home um but look he they went down the beach, they were fine. Their house was one of the ones that is still standing. Um, but that was incredibly, yeah, it was incredibly scary time. Then they were trapped in there in that coastal town of Lake Conjola because there's run, one road in and one road out. Um, but I think for me that whole, and that happened when I was writing the final chapter of my book. <laughs> so I was so just book, 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 book. And I've got to get this done. I was on a deadline. I, had, I wrote this in three months. Um, and that was just, I just stopped and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, this is just, I just need to be focused 
on the people most important to me and the connection of those people. And, and um, yeah, so I think it was just a, it just happened at such a great time when I was writing the book in some ways, it was an awful event, but just made me, well, wrote that final chapter for me really. Yeah, I think reading through and, and that experience, like I was, um, you know, sitting here getting goosebumps, just I can't even imagine, but it's that kind of surreal, you know, phone call, I guess you never want to get in whatever format and, and fortunately, you know, a, a really good outcome, but scary in the moment. Um, but even if we don't get those phone calls, I think all of us have those moments where sometimes reality or meaning or what the thing that really matter can can come to the forefront um as you say that alignment to that chapter in the book is is really about the power of connection and the importance of the people around us um yeah and i think when you're you know when you are so overwhelmed and uh, look i mean we all we're having over like i'm having days of overwhelm now with three children and juggling work and and I, you know, I talk a lot about overwhelm being a bit of a roller coaster that you ride. You know, you sometimes you're deep in it and you're overwhelmed and you can't see out. And then other times you're fine. You know, you're loving life. You're punching the air. You're juicing your kale. You're, you know, you're doing yoga. And then, then the next day, it's it's all goes horribly wrong. And I think for me, it's when it's all going horribly wrong. They're the times when you often don't connect with people because you're so busy or I can't do this. I can't call this. I do this or and they're probably perhaps the times that you really need to the most, just pick up the phone. And that's one thing I actually really love, have loved about being, of isolating, is that I feel like I'm picking up the phone a lot more and my phone is actually ringing. It never rings. It always pings, but now it's ringing. It's a different experience, isn't it? The other thing that I've noticed, whether you have as well, I'm actually answering unknown numbers, which I've never what? done. Haven't done. <laughs> someone's calling I'm like who is that what what are we doing (laughs) so it is funny how um those perspective changes every year one of the rituals that I do is to try and find instead of news resolutions but try and find a word for the year and I know it's not um an uncommon practice many people do that what what might be the word that they want to embody for the year ahead when I um, saw the title of your book, it really struck me that that word balance is probably the most common word that I hear people, you know, choosing for wanting for their their year, their intention. And um, I think in a lot of ways, it just speaks to this overwhelm and overload that, that people experience with that sense of um, exhaustion. When you you initially wrote an article for um, for the for women that you are an editor of, and it really got traction. What do you think it, it was about the term balance and and even calling bullshit on balance that really connected with people? Well, I think so often we yeah we hold balance up to being the utopia the be all and end all when I've got balance I'll be happy when I've got balance I know I've achieved everything I want to achieve when I've got balance um you know in all areas of life when I've the perfect weight when I'm balanced I'll be happy when I've my career is that where I want it to be I'll be balanced when I have how many kids I'll be balanced when I you know achieve this great cake that I saw on Pinterest I'll be balanced when I 
you know, do this yoga headstand that I saw someone do on Instagram, I'll be balanced. And I just think we've got in this really bad place and it's not just us. I think we're sold it as well. Um, that when you balance, you'll be happy. You'll be, you know, you've made, you've, you've hit it. And I just think it does us all a disservice because you never, as soon as you say you balance, you're actually not balanced. I think it's not something we should achieve. We should aim for. And it's something as women, we, we do aim for, and it's never going to happen. Um, so that obviously really struck a chord that people were like, no way. Like I, I'm sick of hearing, I suppose it, and it links the whole perfectionism and, and, you know, I'm sick of feeling like that I'll be balanced when I do this. So I got lots of feedback about that. I got the most of any article I've ever written. Um, you know, a lot of people questioning why we feel this way. Um, what, is it feminism? Has that sold us the idea that we can have it all and, and do it all and, and be happy? And, and then wellness. I think, uh, you know, I brought in the whole wellness. Is wellness actually making the problem worse? Because it's selling us, it's making us even more stressed and, and unbalanced in some ways. Um, so, yeah, so I got an amazing feedback about the story and then I literally thought I think there's so much more in this whole concept and my message is we we need to lose the concept I suppose and know that in many ways we're all you know I don't call it failing but um we're not yeah we're just we're doing we should be focused more on doing what we do right and letting go of what we perhaps will never do I'm never going to do that headstand in yoga so forget it. Just work on doing my plank. <laughs> yeah, coming back to the things that um, that where you are right now and kind of focusing on it. I think it's the permission to that it's okay to question it and talk it through. Um, and there's a bunch of research and statistics that you've put into this book that even when I read them, I'm like, wow, like that's extraordinary. The the sheer volume and number of women in Australia who worry about things, who uh, feel like their self-esteem and self-worth is is criticised. I want to read back to you, and this is going to be weird for me to read a sentence back to you that you've written, but right at the start, and you mentioned before this sense of feminism, like have we been sold maybe, um, and even in the book you talk about the waves of feminism and, and the history and how we've gotten to where we've gotten to. But your statement is, I don't know that if that let me say it again I don't know if this is what I signed up for when I stamped my feminist manifesto at age 18 if you were to take yourself back to that 18 year old what do you think that 18 year old feminist wished for when they thought about this kind of term of equality in society what would that what were those hopes well I probably wished for what I have to be fair um you know I do feel like in some weird way, writing this book has made me appreciate more of what I have in my life. Um, and so when I was 18, I suppose, yeah, I probably wish for what I have now. Like I'm, I've got a really full life of a family, of a, you know, a career, but, and, you know, of health and friends and family, and they're the most important things to me. I probably didn't wish for the fact that I'd be so overwhelmed at times and trying to have my career and do this and um so much of what I wish for I do have but probably the stress the overwhelm 
that side of it, I didn't think I would have that. And I can I just go back to that research actually that you talked about because I thought that's um that yeah, so that that was a survey by Jean Howes, it's a charity. Um, and that asked 16,000 women, 18 plus from around Australia, which is the big, so I obviously did a lot of research into surveys around women feeling, you know, anxiety and depression and, but not just those clinical, clinical um, mental health issues, but also just general women's wellbeing. And this, I thought this was the best I found um, through all my research and, and 67% um, of women in this, survey said that they worry they're all they always nervous anxious on or on it on edge um 78 percent i mean that's that's only 80 percent of women said they have trouble falling asleep or staying asleep because they're stressed and they're anxious and we all know how important sleep is to our well-being um this one 73 percent of us struggle to switch off um so we're always thinking we're always juggling our mental load um, and then 80% of us are easily irritated. I mean, that would be me a lot of the time. <laughs> when, I, when I love my husband, but he doesn't put the dishes in the dishwasher or whatever. <laughs> um, so, and one in three said they have no time for themselves each week. I mean, that for me, that's that, extraordinary. That was like, okay, we've got it. There's a, there's a problem here. And I suppose in the book, I'm not talking, I don't delve into anxiety and depression because I'm not an expert. Like, I'm just a woman living this. So I'm more focused on the well-being of women in general. And I, in back to that, what would I say to my 18-year-old self? I probably thought my sense of well-being would be better than it was, you know. So that's where I think, where have we gone wrong, you know? Were we happier back then? Or I mean, I love feminism. I wouldn't go backwards at all, and I, I'm very clear about that. Like, I'm a, you know, staunch feminist. But how can we make it better for our future generations and and you know, the whole, so they're not so overwhelmed and and drowning in guilt and perfectionism and et cetera, et cetera. Where do you think through the research and through the conversations that you've had with such a range of, of women and, and experts, and I want to talk about that in a moment, but where do you think some of that overwhelm comes from? Where are the breadcrumbs? Where are the paths that those breadcrumbs have followed you down when you when you look at that? Um, good question. <laughs> yeah. um, I think I think for, I, I think there's certain things about the structure of society. So I interviewed the head of gender studies from the University of um, Sydney, and she was actually one of she was instrumental in getting paid paternity leave up and going. And she was fascinating to talk to because she thinks that. Um, you know, we're still expect like the workforce is still set up for a 1950s bloke to come to. Well, it was. Let's just say it was. I can't wait to see how it's going to change. But it was set up for a man to go to work and come home, and dinner's on the table. And we're still, we were still expected to be there from nine till five as women too. Like we were doing exactly the same. But then we were coming home and doing a second job. So I think. That and let and I think what's been incredible is with the pandemic how we've shifted work and I just I, I hope that we're just gonna we're not gonna go back to that we can take some of our learnings that we can do things like this over you know over Zoom or and then move them forward I think also I think feminism 
I spoke to um, Rebecca Huntley and she's a, one of Australia's leading social researchers and she made a great point um, where she thinks, you know, safe feminism, the fundamentals of femi feminism are great and they're there and we all believe them, men and women. The implement, implementation, we're still figuring that out. We don't, you know, we don't know yeah, we're all a bit confused about our roles and men as well. And I think a lot of it, men have to step up more and help out. And I think another great thing of this whole pandemic is that blokes are actually seeing all that women do around the house 24-7, especially women who stay home and look after the kids all day um, or who work part-time or, you know, they're suddenly seeing that there is a lot that is done behind the scenes that they might not see when they just go to work every morning. The hours disappear. I think there's a newfound respect on a whole range of le different yeah. levels uh, yeah. for what needs to be done at home. For teachers, <laughs> there's all yeah. sorts of respect coming into play. What other glimmers do you think we could carry forward? And I'm just going to get you to um, think of some of those kind of hopes for the way workplaces might change or adapt or the way that women might adapt um, to how they work or men, I guess. So yeah, not, well, I the men being not tied to nine to five as well. I think that's a big thing. Like I think for our society to change, men have to step up. Men have to be leaders in this, this field a bit more and say, no, I'm going home at five o'clock or no, I'm working from home today because I'm going to do the school pickup or, you know, and it's really, because I spoke to a few men who are still, you know, one man in particular I, I talked to, and I don't mention him in the book, but we had a big discussion about how he wanted to come home on Friday afternoons and take his daughter to dance class after school, but he wasn't allowed to by his boss. And I'm now I'm some organisations 100% do that, but there is a lot who's, and he works for one of the big law firms in Sydney, and he wasn't allowed to do that. So he got some of his fellow, um, you know, feminists, men around him and they lobbied and they were allowed to do that so I thought that he stood up to that so I think we do need men to take the lead men to step up men to do things without asking um you know checking the washing machine that kind of thing yeah so I think as we go into the new normal hopefully men feel empowered that they can do those things and I also think we've got to as women let um let go and let men do they might not find the washing like we like it but you know what it's done and that's that's the main thing I'm um, totally all for that <laughs> it doesn't have to be perfect at all if I'm not doing it it's all okay but that can be hard to to let some of that perfectionism um go and change yeah and I think that I think you know a new normal and moving forward and is looking at yourself and thinking okay where yeah, like I, I think one of, I mean, one of my biggest learnings out of the book was the phrase that I think, oh, look, a few people have said it, Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer who I love. And um, I talk about Jamila Rizvi. She's a journalist and she said in a podcast, and I just felt like it was coming up a lot when I was writing the book. And it's the phrase done is better than perfect. And I think it's, you know, it's innate. I think a lot of the time it's innate to do your best. You want, you want to do your best. And in everything that you do, um, but sometimes, you know, 80% is good enough. Um, you don't, and I think after you have children, you really realise that you can't do 100% really anymore and that 80% is enough. But especially around the house, if, you you know, he, 
if your husband or your partner, not, not just husband, whatever partner doesn't pull their weight, well, you have to encourage them to do that, but they you also have to let them do that and step away. So you have to, you know, go, okay, that's fine. We, we do it that way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You can't uh, <laughs> be standing over their shoulder going, no, I wouldn't do it like that. I'd do it like this. Right. <laughs> I mean, my kids are so into Bluey. Your, your kids are probably too old for Bluey now. Well, they are, but there's a great episode in Bluey, which some of your listeners might've seen that um, where dad takes them to the pool and he forgets everything, like he forgets the floaty and then the little one doesn't want to go in the pool. And then, and, you know, and it, I just laugh my way through it because, you know, if mum went, she'd have the sun cream. I think um, dad forgets the sun cream and then um, forgets the floaty. And then the, oh, I can't even remember Bluey's sister's name, um, doesn't want to get in. And I just thought, but you know what? They're still there. They're still having a great time. It's a disaster, but, and I just think that's, you know, that nails it because, just let them do things. It's totally okay. Yeah, yeah. And one of those things that we're we're looking for. You talk about this term, we've mentioned overload, overwhelm, but you talk about this term mental load. And so often it, it's it's not necessarily the things that we do out external, but it's what we carry in the way that we're thinking about things. And particularly, you know, some of that research is just, just outstanding about the impact on on sleep. Through the research that you did with this book, how do we how do we deal with that mental load, uh, particularly when we are sorting out things or coming up with new ideas or having to deal with a project that we're dealing with and, and that, that's just our space and time? What were some of the tips or strategies that, uh, that you came across around addressing mental load? Mental load, oh, that is something that just, look, and we're still carrying the mental load in this pandemic, I think. Um, it's not it's there, it's not going anywhere, it's getting, and I think that's probably one of the reasons for, you're right, our lack of sleep, our anxiety, mm. our stress. Um, look, I, I interviewed a very, an, an amazing and inspiring woman, other than yourself, which we can get to later. <laughs> um, but um, her name's Emma Murray, and she is actually a, oh, she, well, a mindfulness coach, you can call her, and she is, she's actually the mindfulness coach for Richmond football, AFL football club. And she worked with them. They used to be terrible. They used to be bottom of the ladder for years and years and years. And then suddenly they won. Um, and she worked with them and she was amazing. And she talks a lot about um, the importance of my, well, she calls it more awareness rather than mindfulness, awareness and the mental load. And she talked about, and I went to see her actually at Richmond and, and talked to her at the footy club. Um, and I know that might sound a bit strange for a book for women to go and talk to um, a um, mindfulness coach at Richmond, but she's actually got four kids herself, um, one who, who is a quadriplegic. Um, he had a diving accident down in Lawn and is wheelchair-bound now. So I feel like she's really lived it as well. Like she does work with elite athletes, but... Um, but she talks, she talks to me a lot about, and I loved her advice about when you're getting in that negative, overwhelmed headspace of having awareness of in that moment that you're in this self-talk cycle, this bad self-talk cycle, and it's learning to catch yourself when you're in it and then almost resetting yourself out of it. And that is so hard when you're in it because that's the last thing you're thinking about 
but she and and you probably do this too Ali but um she just she makes if she's in that bad self-taught cycle she'll often just go if she's even a public toilet and sit there for a couple of minutes tell herself you know I'm in this cycle I'm doing this why am I doing and I've really applied I thought after interviewing her I've applied that you know in my life and the more it takes practice but the more you do it the more you get into it and you know I'm a big person I'm a big fan of writing things down at the end of the day so I've started doing that and I actually think it's helped ease my of what's really important what can I control now what can I focus on now why am I worrying about that thing in six months that's not happening right now don't worry about that now I'm controlling what's happening right now control your controllables is a big one of her kind of terms and I love that I love that just pausing and taking the time to be aware just noticing I think a lot of the time we're so part of that overwhelm is we're just not aware we're on to the next thing and don't realize that and our brain has been worked out of stories in our head and then all of a sudden you know say I'm just using my example like Hugo's got some teeth issues and all of a sudden I'm like oh my gosh he's gonna lose all his teeth like and he's got one hole or two holes and then I'm like well no he's not gonna lose all his teeth you just have to <laughs> and if he does we'll deal with it like <laughs> I can only control what I can control right now and I can't actually control that so don't worry about it you mentioned and I completely agree I think even um, in the current environment with isolation and everything that was on our to-do list is now changed and all of our habits are up for grabs uh, there is still this mental load that we carry and I even noticed it myself probably a week or two ago just getting back into that anxiety of oh, I've got this and I've got to do this and I've got to do that and I've got to go to the shops and in some ways even that that mental load is heightened um, going to the shops because you're on high alert uh, how many people are in the aisle how do I walk past them can I like where am I <laughs> like can I yeah. even look people in the eye things have changed have you noticed that and how how is some of that mental load from the people that you've been talking to change in the current environment yeah, I mean, I think there's a bit of a recalibr recalibration of your mental load. Um, but I've, I've found a few um, in terms of the mental load, there's a bit of, I'm seeing it because we're spending more time on social media now because we're home or we're more time on digital. We're seeing a lot more people doing cool shit at home. There's a lot of, oh, my gosh, I need to do that. Why can't I do oh you know what, I've got this time now. There's people telling us we've got time. Quick, do a degree. Quick, read that book. Quick, write that book you've always wanted to write. Paint that painting. Um, you, th there's perhaps this different sort of mental load where we feel like we should be making use of all this spare time we've got. Um, so I'm seeing that pop up a bit, like people starting to, you know, talking about, hang on, like, I, no, I don't have to write this book. You know, getting that bucket list done, I suppose, that. Um, that now we have the time to do that well, have more time um, to get that done. But I still think there is a general mental load in running of the house. I, I'm finding that, especially when homeschooling, if you've got younger kids kicks in. Um, I mean, I, you know, my kids are seven, five and two, so younger. So they need help when they're doing homeschooling. I mean, I'm, work, I'm writing stories till midnight now. So I'm, I don't actually have less time in many ways because... I have to supervise them during the day and then I have to still get my work done. And I'm finding people with kids that age are more overwhelmed than ever. Um, 
so perhaps carrying more of a mental load than they did before. But it will be interesting to see. I mean, I think this is a great time to really think about what you want your new normal to look like. Um, you don't want to go back to the old normal. A lot of us don't want to. What are we enjoying about the present time that we love? What don't we like about it? And how can we change it so we're perhaps not as overwhelmed, um, not as stressed and appreciating the little the things in life that actually truly bring joy, I think. Absolutely. You actually talk a little bit about gratitude and the power and importance of gratitude. And there's a huge amount of even psychological and sociological studies and research about that it's an incredibly healthy emotion. Is, is that a practice that you have shifted and changed or embarked on? Um, and what were some of the, the examples or the uses of that of gratitude through the research that you did? Um, I, I think it's always been something that I've tried to focus on. It's, it's like a muscle, right? I, I find that you have to remind yourself a bit to focus on that. Like, okay, when you, especially at the moment when you start getting into a bad cycle, when you read the news, you know, you can really get into a negative mindset of all the doom and gloom around job losses, you know, pay cuts, what's, what's my career going to look like? And so... But when you really step back and think, okay, well, no, what am I, I've got my health, I've still got family there, or I, you know, I think it's, it's more important than ever right now. I think um, going back to that time in when mum and dad were caught in the bushfires, they didn't actually, so they didn't know if their house was burnt down until about 24 hours later because they couldn't go back. And there was interesting, there's a lot of talk like on our WhatsApp about, we're just grateful that we're all still alive. And I think that was, you know, that was a lovely moment of gratitude that we shared as a family and, and friends that, you know, we still had each other and that. So I suppose it's, I don't know, how do you, how do you practice gratitude? Oh, I think it is a practice. I think there yeah. are, there are um, times where it becomes easier. And I think when you're not in overwhelm and overload, Weirdly, it feels easier, and yet that's probably the very time that it becomes even more important and, and powerful to do that. Um, I think it's, I have friends who seem to do it really well, whether it's through a, a short text message or a quick phone call or an email or a, a note uh, that they'll kind of go, hey, you know, I really appreciate you. I appreciate what you've done there. Um, so that's always just that reminder um and then occasionally yeah again I don't do this by any ritual or rhythm but there will be times where yeah I have just written hand handwritten notes to people um I did hear of a practice where someone said your first three minutes when you sit down at your desk when you start your day shoot someone a, a two-line email um just to say hey I see you I think you're doing a great job and that can be a friend, a family member, a colleague, a um, customer, a, some, a supplier, anyone. And if you did that every morning, um, it'll change. It'll change your day. And I, I did do that a couple of days in a row, and it was really, really cool. It only takes three minutes, and it's done. I think that's a great little tip. I think also gratitude's really important when you feel it. Like I think there's a you can say, oh, "I'll be grateful," and you can go, 
like, you know, when you say to kids, thank them, thank so-and-so for giving you that. But gratitude only works whether you, when you really feel it, you know, when you actually truly are grateful because that's when it will try, change your mental well-being as opposed to just going, oh, yeah, thanks. You, and so I tried that write three things in my gratitude journal every day and it didn't really work for me because I couldn't really feel it. But I think when I truly sit there and think about things that I'm, and feel them, that's when it works for me. So true. It's almost like that child that's being told, as you say, say thank you. Thank you. <laughs> as opposed to that smile can't help but come over, over yeah. your face. One of the great triumphs of this book that you've written is the gathering of women that you've you've pulled together. Um, all of them, I would love to sit down in a room one day and have a chat. And I feel like that's what you've been able to do through the way that you write, uh, through the questions that you ask. I really feel like I'm in that in that room with you. Uh, and you use the word sisters, and it does feel like this uh, this book throughout it from page one right until the end that there is this sisterhood just sharing their own secrets fears uncertainties tips ideas and and inner thoughts what was your intention I guess in having this array of um of women as you dived into balance and and all the bullshit that comes with it lovely that was a lovely synopsis of them all coming together. I think my main thing is, you know, I'm not an expert. Like I'm not, I don't have a degree in psychology or, um, you know, and I, I suppose as a journalist by trade, my job is to create, curate stories and, and studies. And, and I just thought I can't, I don't, only one person can hear overwhelm, like, people will identify me with me, but they'll also identify with other people. And I suppose overwhelm is just not black and white. It's not how I see it. Overwhelm is different for every single person. Um, you know, overwhelm is different if you're worried about getting food on the table every day. Overwhelm is different if you're in a same-sex marriage and you're trying to navigate that. Overwhelm is different if, you know, you've, you've, you've lost your job or you're a single parent. And I just, I really felt that it was important to get, lots of women's voices through this so I reached out to you know women that I admired and had worked with over the years in my time at magazines and and in media um so people like Megan Gale and Fifi Box and Taria Pitt so people women that have personally inspired me I suppose and also my own mates I, I got five of my two sisters and three friends in different stages and who were experiencing overwhelm in different ways. You know, we've got a single mom, and then I've got someone who's trying to start up her own business who used to be um, a high flyer in advertising. And I just really wanted different voices to come through because so we so different people, so the readers could connect with different people in there and think, yep, that's me. No, I don't agree with that. Yep. So that's probably why I brought them all together with my own and just thought, you know, it's not about me telling my experience and giving my my tips and suggestions it's about all these other people and experts like you who actually um yeah who who have the expertise in this space oh it's such an honor thank you to be invited to be a part of it no it was it was awesome was there any surprises in the conversations that you had or any kind of aha moments for yourself as you sat down and and spoke to women and experts and mates and sisters i think we're 
I think what was lovely is, you know, and, and I interviewed Megan Gale and she said this, you know, for people that we think have the picture perfect life, you know, Megan is incredibly beautiful and lovely and successful in her career. And, you know, she's married a gorgeous husband and they've got two beautiful kids and tick, 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 <laughs> apparently. <laughs> and she worries about sending that message out because, you know, she says, I second guess things I post on social media because I don't want people to think that because it's not all like that. Um, for me, I still get overwhelmed. I still um, struggle. And she said, but I don't feel comfortable talking about it because people feel like my my life is picture perfect so oh that wouldn't be hard for me so I think it was lovely hearing that vulnerability from from people and then you know Fifi Box um single mum with two kids just <laughs> trying to keep her head above water um she was lovely to chat to and then you know my own sister in so I, my two sisters appear in it and one who's a couple of years younger than me and she's just turned 40, no kids. Um, she's the extreme sports photographer. And it, it it was lovely chatting to her because she has had a lot of pressure on her to have kids and she doesn't want to because she's quite happy where she's at. She gets fulfilment in other areas. And so I suppose I learned a lot about her too um, and the pressure perhaps I had put her under sometimes. Um, but her overwhelm's different because she still gets she still gets overwhelmed with her work and ex, and people asking her why she hasn't had kids and so she was also lovely to talk to and to reappear she was gorgeous um, but yeah I, I suppose I just walked away from every one of those interviews um, knew me Steins and who lives just up the road from me so we just had a coffee in our local coffee shop and. You know, and it was great. Yeah, I I loved it. I was I just find those and you too. We met in the Strand. We had a coffee in the Strand Arcade. I walked away um, enriched from all those conversations. I think women, it is something really that strengthens us in that sisterhood, and there can be just those moments of going, "Oh, I'm not alone in this." That can be enough to re-energize or or deal with what we're we're facing. You actually make a point in the book about um, that opportunity to sit down and just have these real honest conversations, vulnerable or not. And even with each other, if we agree or don't agree um, and how they, they can be really enriching, but we don't have time for them. <laughs> um, what would happen or what do you think might be the side effect if we were to make some more time for those kind of conversations? Well, I, I think reassurance that we're not alone, that we're not, yeah, I think that we often have, what I've found talking to people is we often will come clean on social media about what's happened, like I've had a miscarriage or whatever, whereas we wouldn't tell some of our best mates. Like that's what I found sometimes happens. Um, or we have a quick text but it's not until you pick up the phone or you see someone in person that you're going to be a bit more vulnerable about those times we go through those really tough times. Um, I think that's probably one thing for me that I just, it's, it's hard to, it's even, I'm even finding it hard now. You still have to lock in time to, okay, let's do a face chat next Saturday, 11 to 12. And then I'm thinking, hang on, like what, why can't I just sporadic, like spontaneously call them? Yep. Um, 
but I, I think it helps scale back some of that overwhelm because you know other people are going through this as well I mean we know there's there's so much research around you know the connection with people that is good for our mental and physical health um, yeah I, I think the more we can do that and the more we can even though make time for it dare I say the better it is and the, the more emotionally healthy we will be through your research and I guess having um, written the book and you might have gone in with a hypothesis and I'm wondering if it's changed, where do you stand on balance? Is it, is it a load of crap? Is it possible? <laughs> um, I think it's, I, it's interesting, isn't it? Because now I think, have I got more balance now in this pandemic? <laughs> But have I got my balance because I'm not going out of the house, you know? And, I can't <laughs> and is like, that the kind of life I want? No. Yeah, well, that's, that's not the kind of life I want. Um, I do still think balance is BS and I think it's something that we shouldn't um, strive for. I think we have to accept more that life will ebb and flow. So I think when you're stuck in the overwhelm, it's being conscious about being stuck, stuck in the overwhelm and doing things that will help you out, it, out of it, be, be it calling a friend, having a mental break as, as we talk about in the book um, of being really clear on what you stand for. And then when you've come out of that overwhelm, really enjoy the calm, the clarity and enjoy it in that moment rather than thinking, Oh my goodness, I have to go and do this. I have to go and do this. So I think it's just more appreciation that it will ebb and flow. Mind you, I did interview Kemi who, um, I can never pronounce her surname. Can you? Never pill, only because I've practiced. <laughs> and um, she was the one person, and actually Fifi, who said, I can, they have found balance. You know, they find a sense of balance. So I think it's probably all semantics as to how you define the word balance. Um, but for me, I'm not striving to be balanced anymore. I'm just striving to make it through those, that overwhelm of the, you know, when I'm high up on the roller coaster. And then when I've come down and it's all, calm and serene make the most of that moment too one of the things um I've, i found it jumped out of the page um in the book when those that say they've found balance um have done that because they've they've let go and i think that was a real truth to go oh yeah it might be semantics or how you summarize it but it's also that you don't have to hold it all Together, you don't have to be doing it all. It's actually yeah. in the letting it go that that's where it might be possible. There's a ton of really just practical strategies and tips, and you spoke about um, some of those from from Emma and your conversation with her. One of the rituals that you say that you do each year, which I love, I haven't heard this before, but is writing your list of truths. That it's something you do kind of on an annual basis sit down and go what are those things that fulfill me what's true for me what have you discovered about that yearly ritual yeah well I just I mean I'm a bit of a I'm a bit like start of every year I need to write you know I was a bit of a goal setter and and then I was like oh I don't work what I and then I just I suppose I thought okay well I just I'd rather focus on, I actually do two things. I do, I don't know if I talk about it. I do what they call a nectar list where you write about, have you heard of this? Yes. Yeah, yeah I saw it. Yeah, yeah, yeah there is a section where you can get it. But um, explain that to me. So a nectar list is, is where you, you more look at the year that's just gone and write down the highs of that year and things that you 
really um, valued exciting times, a- achievements, you know, and you actually look at, you think, yeah, I actually did have a great year. Or I didn't, I had a really shit year. Like my year wasn't that great and that's okay because I lost my, you know, someone close to me and, and so I always do that first and then I suppose I just sit down and write about, okay, what, what is really important to me this year and what, what am I going to stay true to because every year will be different. So maybe, you know, 10 years ago it might have been more career-focused. For me now it's more kid-focused in five years, perhaps it will be more Tom focused. He'd love to see that. <laughs> Get a hold out for five years just to see, just in case. <laughs> um, or maybe it will be my financial focused or, you know, so I suppose it's just things that I am focusing on that year. Um, and then when I'm caught in overwhelm or when I'm having a particularly rough time, I just go, okay, well, no, this year I said it was going to be family. So I, and that also helps me say yes and no to things. You know, if you're asked to, to do something or, you know, whether it be work-related or whatever, you know, go to someone's baby shower. I mean, it can be tiny things. And you think, well, no, I'd rather stay here and be at home with my family today because that's what's important rather than having to go to something that you don't particularly want to go to, even though you don't want to hurt those people's feelings that you're not going to go. Um, so that's kind of my little knack the thing I do every year yeah I love it it feels like that um yeah you're able to bring that back into focus which then allows you to discern yeah what's okay to let go of yeah I'm not letting go of it forever but just right now yeah and not feel guilty because then you're like no well this is what I stand for this is what I believe in and I'm not and then you're okay with your decision what's your relationship with guilt like oh good question um Oh, look, I have learnt to let a lot go but still feel guilty. Yes. I think it might, this is, I probably shouldn't say this, but I think it's like a trait. It's definitely a female trait, do you think? Yes. But I feel like it's a family trait for us as well. We have this little joke called the guilt train. (laughs) Like, who's riding the guilt train? Like, there's a bit of... Like this is my extended family, you yes. know. Yeah, the martyr who's doing more. <laughs> and it's mum riding the guilt train again because we can't, we're not coming over for, you know, east down for Easter or whatever. <laughs> um, but I've probably, I think when, for me to have that list of truths, it helps me feel less guilty because if I'm clear about what is important to me for that moment in time, then you can let go of the guilt a bit more. And I think as they get older, you get a bit more relaxed about, you get a bit more um, confident as well in, in who you are and what you stand for and, and what you'd like and what you don't want to do and, and perhaps lose a bit of that guilt. But, yes, I mean, of course, I'm carrying a lot of guilt like everyone else. <laughs> I love the guilt train. It's yeah. just, let's not buy tickets to it. <laughs> no, no. Oh, yes. No, yeah. <laughs> we, we've spoken a bit about, obviously, the current um, environment that we're, we're in with COVID-19 and there's a huge amount of uncertainty and probably one of those big questions of how long this will go on for. You've also mentioned this sense of hope and hopefully in a lot of ways we don't go back to exactly where we were. We don't just pick up um, the same 
guilt, the same overwhelm and, and the same uh, load of, of work and, and responsibility. How, for yourself, when you think about uh, this experience for you, how will you hope to come out of this time differently? And what are the things that, uh, that you kind of hope maybe don't come back? Um, I, I think in some ways it's really made me appreciate the whole concept of time, um, like how important time is. We, there was a study that um, was done, you might know this one, oh, was it like, it was a fair while ago, like five, five years or that Australians value time more than money. And I think, you know, we're so easy. Oh, I don't have the time. I don't have time. Oh, I'll get, I'll get to when I do this, when I have the time, I'll do this. And, and I think in some ways, maybe this has made me realize that time's really valuable and we don't and value my time a bit more. And that means not spending three hours sitting on Instagram and not, not well, I don't do three hours, but you know how you get into those in, like holes, yeah. internet or social media holes. Like I've probably, I, I've been really good at saying, put the phone down, put the phone down, put walk away from the phone, walk away from the phone, go and read a book or go and do something that, you know, will enrich you. So I think maybe there's a bit of that. I'm just, I hope going forward, I'll value my time a bit more. Um, I think also less concern about, and this is such a silly thing, but just physical appearance and things like, getting your hair dyed like we've all, we've now seen everyone exactly how they are and i kind of love that you know that we're seeing, we're we've we're peeking people's homes we're seeing that we we all almost walk out with a facade in some ways um and maybe that might relax you know if my if i've got gray hair so what you know <laughs> that kind of thing um so maybe i'll get a claw a bit of time back in that not having to blow dry my hair you know things like that <laughs> Which I don't do anyway, by the way. But yeah, absolutely no. But there's just all that pressure of what I what I should, what I could, yeah. and I think some of those changes. I was on a, a phone call to um, a lady, a client yesterday, and I could hear little kids running around in the background, and you, I could even hear in her voice where she's just gone, "Oh well, I've got kids here." Whereas I think, you know, we. Um, probably even up to a couple of weeks ago, it's like keep the kids quiet. Just don't don't tell anyone that there's kids even in the area <laughs> or is yeah. it, we're now a bit more relaxed about well actually this is the reality of it and that's okay yeah and I think that it's another thing I, I think just thinking about kids you made me think my kids don't need to do every single school activity like I think and that probably comes back to me trying to claw back a bit of time out of all of our lives like really look at okay do you know my kids need to do swimming and footy and art and you know let's do one activity um do we really you know sunday sacred let's just keep that for family time or um do we really need to have a party every year or you know i suppose things like so clawing back time for me but also for from a family and for friends so i can make time of um friends and, and i think that's also evaluating your friendships in some way like so what friends have really you know bring what friends have I stayed in touch with during this time and, and who do I really want to spend time with? And, you know, I think that's also not that I'm saying you need to filter your friends, but I don't know, just spending time with people who you really want to spend time with because time is so important and 
and perhaps that's what I've realized more than ever now that when you've got time you can actually use it in a better way and be creative and and purposeful and yeah. uh, expressing those things that, that yeah you want to be want to be doing uh, look I'm going to be moving towards wrapping up. Uh, congratulations again on this book. I, I really do think it's going to, um, it, it feels like this warm permission and possibility uh, through that, that uncertainty. So I know it's going to really land for, for people who, who grab a copy of it. And uh, now that we've got some time, apparently, <laughs> to read, read books. Uh, yeah, thank you for being part of it. We haven't really talked about your part. Oh, look, it was such an honour. Yeah. People can buy the book and read about that. They, they can. They can. Um, part of the mystery of, of finding out about it. Uh, but as you know, the name of this podcast is called Stand Out Life. When you hear that term, what does it mean to you to live a standout life? Um, living a standout life just for me means living in a rich, enriched and meaningful life um, and I think that's what I come back to in the book we at the end of the day you know we as women we want to be um, empowered and we want to have it all but what we really want and this is what I got from interviewing everyone and is we want a meaningful life like we want that's what we want and that's what I want and that's what a standout life is to me a life of meaning for me and um, yeah that's it. <laughs> Perfect. Easy. But it's also finding that meaning for ourselves. Yeah. yeah. For you. That's a, a beautiful summary and conclusion of those conversations. Thank you so much, Felicity. Thank you, Sally. Look forward to catching up with you face to face sometime yes. soon. Yes. <laughs> Thank you so much.